Talking Leaders is a Voquinexus production. We help leaders who want people to really hear what they have to say. Today on Talking Leaders, I'm talking with Neil Reavy, who is currently Associate Director of Research Assurance for AstraZeneca. Welcome, Neil. Nice to see you. Now, Neil, the position you've got to, obviously, progressive careers taken through a variety of different activities, and there's been uh, leadership opportunities along the way there, and you, you certainly have leadership responsibilities in your current role. But we're not talking today about the leadership that you've got with the Associate Director role. We're talking about another leadership challenge that you've taken on recently. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so just recently I've taken on the co-chair role of a new organisation that's set up called the Proud Science Alliance. Um, The organisation is a cross-sector initiative, essentially, of organisations that work in healthcare and life science, and it's supporting LGBTQ inclusion in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into this? What was it that, that sort of drove you to want to take an active part in that? So this, for me, the the story starts many years ago, I guess, as a young gay man working in science. Yeah. You know, I, I took my first role in, in R&D when I was 20 years old. Right. And I experienced quite a, a negative environment, mm-hmm. um, somewhere that I wasn't comfortable, um, that I was exposed to quite negative behaviours, mm-hmm. um, which was upsetting. And it was... Um, it was difficult to get by and actually to to progress in my career because of that. Mm. I was held back emotionally. Mm. Um, so I did eventually break free from that and managed to progress in my career. Mm. But I was always very um, mindful of the fact that I never really spoke up about my experience mm. and that I potentially left a space for other people like me to step into who could have experienced the same thing I did. Right. Um, so I was all I was motivated probably for the last twenty years to really do what I can to make a difference right. to make sure that that never happens again. Yeah, yeah. So what's happened recently then to allow you to sort of step up your your action, so to speak? So one thing that really changed for me was back in two thousand eleven, I was lucky enough to to get a an international assignment out working in the US. Right, and went out there with my husband. And both of us became very acutely aware of the challenges for LGBTQ people in the US Mm. because we were married in the UK. Mm. And when we came to apply for our visas to work there, we had to apply separately. Our marriage wasn't recognized. Um, And when we arrived at the port of entry, I remember the advice ringing in my ears, don't go to the immigration desk together, go separately. Then you don't have to answer any awkward questions. Wow. And, you know, I hadn't really been exposed to, to that kind of exclusion, if you like, yeah. on a governmental level. It felt very odd to me. Yeah. Um, so then when I got into to my office in the US, I met with a colleague um, and we, we spoke about her experiences as a woman working in science and some of the negative kind of feelings and um, environments that she'd worked in at different organizations throughout her career. Yeah. And together we set up the first employee resource group in R&D right. in the US for AstraZeneca, right. um, specifically looking after LGBTQ people. Right. Okay. And and how did that go down? How did that work? I think it, I worked on a very small site. So we had about 500 people. Mm-hmm. And we were supporting a community of around about 10 or 15 people who we knew of. Mm. Um, we had social events. We organized charity events. 
and we did some kind of workshops and leadership programs mm-hmm. and it, it went it went well mm-hmm. and it was supported by the company which was really important and i think you know that's important for people to to feel like the company's supporting these type of initiatives because mm-hmm. it helps them to understand that they're welcome in yeah. that workplace yeah but then after three years i was you know my international assignment ran out yeah and then i moved back to the uk and uh you know, it was unfortunate at that time that because it was run by, you know, two or three people who all left that, that site at the same time. Right. That group folded. So it doesn't it doesn't exist anymore. There's actually somebody at the moment who's looking at re reestablishing it. Right. Um right. so so yeah. But what we did do is when we when I came back to the UK, I was contacted by an extremely engaged and enthusiastic graduate who'd started with the company and had recognised that there was a gap and he felt like it was important that there was some kind of a support network right. for people. Right. So him and I got together and had a bit of a brainstorm and thought, right, let's do something. So over a period of about a year, we did some planning and then we launched um, the UK's first employee resource group right. for AstraZeneca for yeah. LGBT people. Yeah, yeah. Which was a massive success, mm-hmm. um, still is. A huge success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I co-chaired that with with Spiros, who is my you know my colleague, um, for three years. Uh, we grew our membership to about seven hundred people, mm. and then we we started to then speak to other organisations, other companies, and they had said, "Why don't we do things together?" Because. GSK had a great employee resource group called Spectrum. Yep. There was Pfizer who had a group, Eli Lilly. Johnson and Johnson. Everyone was all led by employees. We're all having the same conversations, and the same movement was happening in their businesses. Right. So we we had our very first meeting to sit down and say, well, what does this look like if we did work together? How can we make a difference? Yeah. And what is different about working together rather than working individually? Yeah. And that was the birth of the Proud Science Alliance. Right. So talk us through the the sort of personal leadership journey and, and you know how was it different to maybe some of the leadership that you'd you'd undertaken before I think for me leading in this space has been it's not been driven by my career it's not driven by my knowledge and you know my abilities mm. you know technically or scientifically or whatever else mm. um it's driven by a purpose mm. and that's what's different for me mm-hmm. because uh, you know, in, in this role, I'm much more of a spokesperson mm. and I'm driving behavioral change and mm. I'm probably engaging at more senior levels in organizations than I would do in my in my day job. Right. So there's an element of, of discomfort there for me. Right. But because I'm driven by that purpose to make a difference. Yeah. Because that that purpose is driven by personal experience. Right. When you know what that feels like and when you see it in others... And when you speak to other people and they share their experiences with you, yeah, yeah, it just lights a fire. Yeah, and right. and what I would say is, I mean, from a leadership perspective, this is this is not something that I feel like I've chosen to do to some extent. It feels like it's something I have to do, right? Um, and yeah, it's very personal. Yeah, and has it been straightforward then? I mean, given that you got that passion ignited and you did it to sort of just flow, or was it was it a little bit more? problematic than that 
from a you know in terms of actually setting up the organizations and things there's been hurdles along the way you know and i've had to engage in skills that i didn't realize i had or like, what? like what persuasion you mm-hmm. know talking to people and you know persuading them that this is important mm-hmm. and it needs investment mm-hmm. and it needs people to have a conversation mm-hmm. i think the the interesting thing for me is how many people are surprised by the day-to-day endeavors that lgbtq people have to go on just to fit in mm-hmm. you know i mean uh, i can give you an example personal example for for me is and this was only a, a few years ago when i was asked to go to st petersburg to mm-hmm. conduct an audit mm-hmm. and at that time there was a lot of issues with lgbtq people being persecuted and there was, there was a lot of trouble in that particular city mm-hmm. and i just did not want to go mm-hmm. And this inbuilt fear in me prevented me from just being honest and saying to to my boss, I don't want to go. This is happening there. It doesn't make me feel very comfortable. I'd prefer not to go. The the fear that was in me, which was kind of buried away, actually made me say, I've got an issue with my passport. So what was the fear that if you said, actually, the reason is, is because I'm gay and there are these problems, that that would sort of reflect on your career, possibly? Reflect on my professionalism, that I can't right. overcome my right. personal circumstances yeah, yeah. to do what is professionally expected of me. Right. So you made a, a, an excuse up that wasn't real. I mean, it was a kind of a real excuse. I did have something going on with my passport at the time to do with visas. And, and I just used that. Yeah, and the, and the silly thing was, you know, an immediate reflection. I was like, well, actually, my manager's really cool, and he's quite laid back, and he would completely understand. But you still felt inhibited. But because that's been built in built in me over so yeah, many yeah. years, right? So actually, changing LGBTQ people's perception of themselves and how people view them in the world isn't something you can change with a law, no, or a policy. No. It's no. about changing culture. And changing the environment around people so that they can actually see that they don't need to engage in those protective measures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still on that journey personally, right? right. Uh, but I know that many other people are. Yeah. And more worrying for me is the number of young people that are still on that journey. Right. Yeah. You were telling me that statistic that uh, was quite shocking about about millennials being out outside work. Yeah. Give, give us that number again. So this this was published by. Um, the HRC back in 2014 and it's 62% of millennials actually go back into the closet when they enter the workplace and that was the statistic that really kind of called me to action if you like in the UK when when that first came out in 2014 that's when Spiros has a graduate came to me and said this this isn't right yeah we need to do something yeah yeah yeah. now you said uh the ERG that you set up was was hugely successful in what way what was the success that you you uh, enjoyed i think i think for me the the first step was about the fact that the company supported it mm-hmm. they really got on board with the idea that we needed a voice and that we needed to connect with people and we also needed to connect with each other because mm-hmm. you know we're a global organization people are scattered around in different places mm-hmm. uh, in the UK we're scattered around different sites mm-hmm. so it was about creating a community and albeit a virtual community if i think back to my early experience of being you know in an environment that wasn't good for me if i could have seen somebody else somewhere else that i could have reached out to for support mm-hmm. or even just to be a friend 
that would have made an enormous difference to me mm. and probably would have taken me out of that environment a lot quicker. Mm. So that that for me was the first thing that was successful. Yeah. And then beyond that, we we ran development events for people. So we, we ran a leadership development event where we had LGBTQ leaders from different companies actually talk about their journey to leadership. Right. Which is quite inspiring for someone who's thinking that there are some kind of invisible barriers in the way. So these are leaders who are now openly gay or, yes. or come out in whatever way. Yeah. Um, and who've become successful and reached senior senior positions. Yeah, and, and more importantly, actually, on that panel, we had an ally, um, which is um, a straight cisgendered person who um, actively supports the LGBTQ community. Right. So he was on that panel as a leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talked about his experience to, about becoming an ally. Yeah. Um, and that was as important as seeing LGBTQ people on the stage. Right, It's right. about seeing someone who's actually doesn't identify the same way but who's willing to stand up and say you count yeah so that's that's really good I and mean, i think anyone could see the, the the power and the advantage of having uh, you know being able to identify other others who have shared experiences and shared shared thoughts and so forth but one of the things that is said about ergs sometimes is that in some organizations they can be seen as something that that can be put in place and ticks the box oh yeah we're, we're good because we've got the erg group and they meet in the cafe every Friday, and and isn't it lovely? And aren't we great? And we get all the credentials, but but it it doesn't really do any more than that. It doesn't really change your organisation. What do you say to that thought that they can sometimes be a just a box ticking setup? I can understand why some people would have that perception, and I think there are maybe some ERGs out there that are you know less active within mm. their organisations, and mm. they do have more of a social um, or a social aspect to them but even at that most fundamental level that's still important because you're creating a group of individuals there who somebody can turn to yeah. you're creating visibility it goes yeah. back to that point i made before about if you can see someone like you then you can feel supported yeah so even at that level there is nothing wrong with that yeah and actually if a company's engaged in allowing allowing that group but is supporting that group to exist yeah that sends a very clear signal also that the company supports an LGBTQ. Right, right, right. But given that, you know, you're talking about the changing culture, which affects lots of things like, for example, hiring policies and promotion policies and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's your, your thought on how, in particular, the Proud Science organisation that you're part of that can go beyond that great thing you've already talked about, but then actually to directly influence at the highest levels and, and throughout an organisation to, to really, you know, truly change the culture. Yeah. So the, the best ERGs focus their energies in different ways. Mm. The first way is that they would really focus in on their membership mm -hmm. and making sure that they've, they've got access to um, leadership development events, personal development. Um, it might be mentoring um, or even reverse mentoring where they can actually mentor senior leaders within their organization and talk about LGBTQ inclusion and help leaders in their organization be more inclusive. Wow. So that's one way. Yeah. The other way is um, I would say about 20% of, of an effective ERG engages in a certain degree of activism. Right. And this is a growing trend in organizations now, and especially with the new generation of people coming into the workforce, is that specifically the next generation of empl employees that are coming into the workforce now are much more socially engaged. Yeah. They're much more aware of um, sustainability. 
you know, and in AstraZeneca, for instance, inclusion and diversity is an important part of our sustainability right. and the way we think about the future of our planet and our people. Yeah. And so when employees come in now, they're much more likely to stand up and say, this is wrong, mm. or we need to do something differently because we need to be more um, impactful in the way that we right. um, engage with the world. Yeah. So if they if these employees come in and they see um, an environment that's less inclusive, mm. they're more likely to say we need to do something different. Mm-hmm. So ERGs are a way of channeling that kind of activist tendency into a very constructive dialogue with the, the organization. Mm-hmm. It's a way of saying we can see where we are now, but as employees, we can actually help you understand how things can be even better Mm -hmm. and can become a real sounding board and a real energizer for change. Mm. So that's where the most effective ERGs work. Mm. What the Proud Science Alliance does and why I'm so excited about leading it is that it connects different ERGs that are at different levels of their maturity Mm. where some might be more active in that kind of um, progressive activist type environment others may be more active in the more social and kind of um ally building Mm. environment Mm. because you bring this diversity of experience together from these different organizations with all of these employee-led activities you can then start to see um some kind of internal competition raising the bar ever so slightly on inclusion for lgbtq people across the sector Mm. And then where that's important for me is that when you've got graduates then looking at the sector, not just the business, they're saying, that's a sector I can work in. Mm. I can be a scientist. Right. I can be an engineer. Right. Right. I can work in IT. Yeah. And not see those sectors as something that they can't do. Right, right, right. How specifically, though, can these groups hold um, organisations to account on this kind of thing? And because, because, again, just going back to this point, it's for very good reason and, and, and it's to be, to be welcomed, but it's become, if you like, fashionable for large organisations to declare their LGBTQ credentials. Um, you know, the rainbow colours are everywhere and that's that's great to see. But how can you really sort of hold their feet to the fire and say, well, it's all right you're putting in your annual report and saying you do this kind of thing, but, but show us where you're actually genuinely implementing uh, policies that, that are going to bring about change. And I think that's the that's the key. It's about the policies Mm. and it's about what organisations do. And that's where ERGs can really kind of help. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if they they have to see improvements in recruitment processes. Mm -hmm. And if they don't see that, then they've got to keep pressing for it. Mm. And the thing about what what I'm finding is that organisations, all of the member organisations of the PSA are incredibly engaged in this. So Mm. they're not sitting back and letting the ERGs do the work. Mm. You know, if I think about GSK have just been named in the Stonewall Equality Index as one of the top 14 organisations in the world for LGBTQ inclusion. Mm -hmm. And AstraZeneca, incredibly proud of the ERG that we started as a seed. And then you've got other ERGs that have popped up around the world are now connected in a global network, which is supported by the business to make sure that whatever's inclusive in the UK or the US, it's also inclusive in Colombia mm-hmm. and Mexico mm. and India. Mm. So I don't see an issue actually with I don't I don't see any tension between the ERGs and their organizations. Right. What I do see is 
um, DERGs like being an engine for ideas right? and right. really kind of driving forward, so, you know, not letting the companies rest on their laurels, but okay. actually saying, you know, we can do more. And I think you were telling me that the UN has brought out some standards which people can use to sort of try and measure the, the progress of an organisation towards what you're aiming for. Yeah. So um, I know that Novartis and GSK are signed up to the United Nations Free and Equal Standards for Business. Right. Um, and these are specifically around LGBTQ inclusion around the world. Right. Um, and specifically around global organisations where they can really make a difference right and that what i really like about the un free and equal standards is the focus is on human rights yeah and you know the first of those standards is about organizations respecting human rights and that lgbti people are um do have human rights and yeah, yeah, they yeah. are part of that narrative and and in that they expect organizations to have you know, respective due diligence processes in place that actually call out LGBTQ inclusion alongside the traditional kind of human rights as organisations perceive them. Okay. Um, they also work, their second um, standard is around the workplace. And, you know, again, this kind of really helps businesses with a framework as to what they need to do. Mm. Um, so about eliminating discrimination, ensuring that their policies and processes are absolutely robust particularly around recruitment and retainment of staff, but also about selection processes, making sure that you remove unconscious bias um, and that... Not easy to do, though. It's not easy to do. I mean, and, that, and that's the point. And people think that you can do the unconscious bias training and then it's, you know, job done. Mm. But it's, it's, a commu it's, a, it's an ongoing process of learning, mm. you know, and, and, you know, here at AZ, we, we talk a lot about lifelong learning. Yeah. And undoing unconscious biases, being aware of them and actually being more inclusive in recruitment, retention, managing people and mm. leading people mm. is a journey that people will be on for the rest of their careers as far as I'm concerned. Sure. I know that I recognise that I'm still on that journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing, it, it kind of goes beyond just those policy changes. It's about actually supporting and helping people to understand some of the the, um, the issues that LGBTQ people face. Right. And the most important people to get to there are leaders and line managers. Mm -hmm. So organisations have to put something in place there to make sure that those people, those individuals are well equipped mm -hmm. and understand the challenges mm -hmm. so that they can be supportive when people who identify that way, mm -hmm. you know, join their teams. Mm -hmm. um, and that they, they know that actually the environment that this person's in is including them. Mm. And they're getting the full potential of that individual as well. Mm. So you're painting a very positive picture about about uh, you know, the things that are being done. Are you seeing results? Are you seeing actual tangible positive benefits from from all these initiatives and all this work? Yes, I think you know. I mean, it's it sounds. This goes to your point a little bit about you know putting a rainbow on something. Mm. The tangible stuff for me is when when I hear stories about the business actually th proactively thinking about what they can do to change something. Do you have a story you could give us an yeah, example? Yeah, I mean, so, so recently there's, so in Japan, the, you know, marriage equality isn't, isn't a, a thing mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, but there are some areas of Japan where they've introduced um, legislation that recognizes um, same-sex partnerships. Mm -hmm. And, you know, AstraZeneca as an organization is immediately recognize that those certificates are in place and then that gives them the ability to then say 
we can give you benefits and and, and all of the other things that married couples would enjoy on the right. basis of that certification. Right. So, and that's a proactive stance that yeah. that AstraZeneca has taken. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, there are there are concrete examples of where you know the employee resource group or the proud science alliance or anything else didn't have a conversation and say you must do this the organization proactively did that mm. because it knows it's the right thing to do mm -hmm. so um i don't know whether what we do has influenced that in any way but i know that as we're raising the conversation and the awareness of the situation that automatically organizations are more keyed into the things where they can make a difference. So what would the uh, what are the other headings under the UN standards? So the the other standard is around the marketplace and this is about specifically around access to products and services but also how you engage with um contractors. Mm -hmm. So you know, are you you know inadvertently discriminating against an LGBTQ contractor mm. or are um customers potentially not getting access to your products mm. you know and you know a really small example of that might be you know the the case of the the lgbt wedding um and not being able to get a cake from a shop oh right you know, yes. that's a very simplified version of it but you can imagine um, that on a, on a bigger scale for a large organization is there some way that we're not seeing lgbtq people getting access mm -hmm. to our products and services right, right so that that's very important and then for me probably the most important one is about organizations acting in the public sphere mm. um, and you know this is about connecting with the community that you work in so it's not just about looking at inclusion in your own four walls yeah but actually how is that how does that look in the environment that we operate in mm -hmm. and how can we improve that mm. so if i think back to the the recent legislation um, campaign in the u.s to to create equal employment rights for LGBTQ people across the US, mm. something you would expect would have already been in place. Yeah. Um, it wasn't. And many businesses actually signed petitions and backed you know, a change to this because they're employers and they want to be able to offer those same um, standards for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So that's about that's about taking the employee activism and turning it into employer activism mm -hmm. and that to me is really powerful because then your organization is standing up for you as a community right um so i see the un free and equal standards as actually being a really powerful framework mm -hmm. for businesses to look at and say this is where we can start to make a difference and we haven't got time to go into the details but i mean are they phrased in such a way so you can actually measure whether or not somebody's really coming you know reaching the standard that's required i mean there's all their metrics that you can attach to them there are no there are no necessarily any specific metrics um that, that i'm aware of mm. um but there are other organizations that you can work with that actually do really measure um what your practices and processes look like so stonewall for instance has right. a global um diversity champion scheme you can sign up to that and they act as a consultant where they actually come in and support your business to, to right. help you go through all of those processes. You can then enter the, the rankings and you can be measured against them and be ranked against other organizations. Right. So that's very tangible. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's something that's, that's independent as well. It's not self-assessed. It's, it's completely independent. And, you know, so GSK, you know, fine example of somebody who really grabbed hold of that. Um, and they're they're now in the top fourteen mm. um, global organisations. Mm -hmm. For us, as as members of the Proud Science Alliance, who are now working alongside GSK, there's so much we can learn from them because they've had that experience. So, if there are other organisations who have joined the Proud Science Alliance who want to go on that same journey, 
Mm. They're not starting from scratch. Mm. Mm. You know, mm. and that, that's the whole point in the Proud Science Alliance is that we're actually working together to say, well, we've done something different or we've done something maybe slightly better. Would you like some help? Right. Yeah. And and for me, that is so powerful because inclusion and diversity is quite often seen in organizations as some kind of competitive advantage. If you can be more inclusive, oh, right. then then you're maybe a better organization. Mm-hmm. What I love about member organizations that have joined the Proud Science Alliance is that they're all saying, you know what, that doesn't matter. What matters is that we fix this. Yeah. And so I'm very proud of any any of our businesses that have joined the Proud Science Alliance. The statement that they're making is that, you know, together we need to make a difference and we need to make our sector better for LGBTQ people. Yeah. And that's way more powerful than any organization working on its own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I'm incredibly proud to lead it. What about the future? What are you hoping for in the short and medium long term? I think the short term, it's about growing our membership base. Mm-hmm. So we need to, I'd like to see more organizations come on board because mm-hmm. then that's, you know, affecting a wider section of our of our industry. Um, and then I really want to see us working together to actually generate original content. Mm-hmm. So it might be that we, we come together to, to develop a leadership program for LGBT people. It might be that we reach out into schools and universities and do some coaching and mentoring so we can actually, I think for us, we, we had this phrase, you know, Jason Sloan, who's the, the operations co-lead from GSK, who was really the brainchild behind all of this. Him and I had a conversation way back at the beginning and I said, for me, LGBTQ inclusion should be seen from school to CEO. Yeah. So yeah. any kid in school should be able to aspire to be whatever they want. Yeah. And we need to be able to create the environment that if they want to work in, you know, healthcare and life science, that when they come in, we'll support them from school. And if they want it, we'll get them to CEO. Mm-hmm. You know, so whatever programming we put in place, I'd like it to be able to deliver mm. at all levels of that for mm. people. Mm. So that's kind of a medium-term ambition, I would say. Mm. Ultimately, the long-term ambition, there's no Proud Science Alliance. Because you don't need it. We don't need it anymore. Mm. Because LGBTQ people are recognized in business. They are um, included fully. And they're just part of the fabric of Mm -hmm. the organization in every way. And I think it's important to state, though, and and I hear this quite a lot, was... I don't see people, you know, people say I'm inclusive because I don't see people's sexuality or Mm. I don't see people's colour. I Mm. just see them as people. Mm. And I always counter that by saying, by by saying you don't see it or that you don't recognise it, you're not acknowledging it. And actually what what you're doing there is almost sort of not acknowledging that part of somebody Mm -hmm. and only acknowledging the part that you want to. Mm. So when we talk about no Proud Science Alliance... The environment that I look at in the future is not just where everyone is the same mm-hmm. and everyone fits in. It's that everyone's differences stand out, that they're celebrated and people are recognised for their uniqueness. Yeah. And that people do talk about people's differences. Yeah. And they do recognise them, but they do it in a way that all that also makes sure that they're drawing out all of their talents and abilities and skills. Yeah, because there's this thing these days, isn't there, that, that I think has is, is been rightly called out and named where where people have to they feel they have to in, indulge in i think it's called covering yeah where you 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 know maybe you do have a different idea but the culture that you're in doesn't talk in that way doesn't think in that way isn't interested in those things so you suppress whatever it is that you 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 know you you feel might 
make you stand out mm-hmm. because you you feel it would be bad if you did stand out. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm quite passionate about is the fact that for me, the the um, the environment that we're trying to create for LGBTQ inclusion is actually the environment to include everybody. Mm. Um, and I always think that if a, if an organisation's really good at LGBTQ inclusion, they're just good at inclusion mm. because there's varying degree. You know, there's 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 a lot of LGBTQ people are invisible, and they're invisible because they use those covering mechanisms that you've talked about. You know, mm. we we hide our identity in various different ways. We create an, a different persona that we walk into work with. Yeah. And that actually applies to someone who's not LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. It might be someone who's, I mean, I, I can think of people who are introverted, desperately introverted, but they work in, in, in an environment that's quite, to be successful, you've really got to be heard. Mm. And they force themselves to be heard. Mm. And and it's completely out of their own character. Mm. Um, and I always think that's a shame, mm. you know, that they can't just be celebrated for actually their ideas and their thoughts and what they bring to the table, which mm. is the same or of, or of greater value than the mm. person who's louder, mm. but the louder person gets hurt. Right, right, so, right. you know, I mean, we talk, we're, we're here talking about LGBTQ inclusion, but actually the, the behaviours that people need to demonstrate to include LGBTQ people are the behaviours that they need to include anybody yeah. and everybody. Yeah, yeah. And we, we spoke about sport. Yeah. And I always think about, I, I, I'm never a fan of football, but I remember at least two or three times where I thought, you know what, I'm just going to check where the league's up to right now because I've got a meeting with this external company mm. and I know that, you know, it's going to be a gang of guys around the table and I've got to somehow engage in that conversation mm. in the coffee break. Mm. And and it's sad, mm. but you know I've indulged in that because mm. I felt like it's the way I'm going to get business done. Yeah, yeah. Going back to the future then, and more specifically, you. Where are you going to take your leadership in this area? I think I think for me, you know, I'm I'm really really focused on my actual career. Yeah, you know, and I think that's really important to me that I'm still engaged in my in my day job because part of what the Proud Science Alliance is doing is about raising the bar for people who want to work in the type of job that I'm doing. Yeah. So I think it's important that I maintain that. But from a, for me, I just want to reach as many people, mm. um, as many organizations as possible. Um, and, you know, I want to inspire somebody to actually step up and take the co-chair off me in so many years time. Mm-hmm. Because for me, the Proud Science Alliance is about developing leaders mm. and you know, it isn't just about me. We've got a steering team made up of a number of leaders from across all of these organisations. And I think it's important that they're all given a voice. Mm. So actually the future for me is about getting the Proud Science Alliance to a place where I'm comfortable and proud, that I know it's successful and it's delivering, that all of our team is cohesive and happy. And then I can step down and let somebody take it that bit further. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Leaders. If you think podcasting might help get you heard and better understood and would like to have a chat about maybe giving podcasting a go, or if you're interested in being a guest on Talking Leaders, drop me an email at paul.gisby at voquinexus.com.